Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. We've covered a number of healthcare-associated social issues on this podcast. Access to healthcare, social determinants of health, the obstacles for rural populations. And one thing that comes through crystal clear is that a tremendous amount of the factors that impact a person's health is not considered, quote, healthcare at all. To quote today's esteemed guest, because the roots of healthcare inequity are multifactorial, she says, it will take everyone working together. In a moment, we're going to talk extensively to Dr. Tiffany Avery, Chief Medical Officer of Nant Health. Tell us more about health equity, particularly in the area of oncology. And I'll give you a spoiler, Dr. Avery has some solutions and some examples that will show how it's possible. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Tiffany Avery, Chief Medical Officer of Nant Health. Prior to her role at Nant Health, Dr. Avery served as an assistant professor of oncology at Thomas Jefferson University and Wake Forest Baptist Health. She earned her BS and Master of Public Health with an emphasis on epidemiology from Tulane University and her MD from LSU Health Sciences Center, New Orleans. In her academic roles, she was involved in clinical trials for breast cancer patients and research investigating survival disparities in cancer. Dr. Avery, so very glad to have you on the collective voice, especially as we dive into such a timely issue, I think, health disparities. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for our talk today. Uh, I'm excited too. So uh, every uh, superhero has an origin story. Let's talk a little bit about where you came from and, and is this what you wanted to be when you were in fourth grade? So first of all, there are no superheroes, at least in my chair. So we're already <laughs> off to a bad start. No, just okay, um, okay. So actually, I did always want to be a doctor, but I never thought that I would be an oncologist. That was not in the plan. And in fact, um, when I was in medical school, I had a friend who told me he had decided to become an oncologist. And I told him he was out of his mind, um, you know, so... Be, keep your words sweet because you might have to eat them one day. Um, you know, up until that point, I had had, a, unfortunately, personal experience um, with cancer in the family um, and watching what my relatives um, had gone through. And so sitting on that side of it, it didn't seem like what I wanted to, um, how I wanted to spend my career. However, um, once I started to work um, with patients in medical school um, and then in residency, I just uh, totally fell in love with it as uh, as a medical specialty. And there are a few reasons why, actually. It was really such a unique experience for me on the clinical side of things to be really involved uh, with patients and their families at a very vulnerable time when they really needed so much support um, and guidance. And I just had so much value for that because of 
the experiences that I had before with other family members. Um, and on top of that, the science is pretty cool too. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's hard not to uh, get very excited about the advances um, that we've made in cancer treatments over the last, you know, decades and seeing the survival benefits and improvements over time. So yeah, yeah I, I, um, didn't see it coming, but but um, did decide to train um, in oncology. And you know, when when I started my fellowship to specialize, I was working on a presentation uh, in my first year and just putting together like you know the throwaway slides that you start any talk with on stats and you plan to spend ten seconds on them and kind of just blow through them. And um, so I was doing that. And what I saw was that there were actually differences in survival um, among cancer patients. And mm. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, um, and so that kind of, that led to my interest in survival disparities, too. Uh, interesting. And, and you also took a, uh, your emphasis at, with your master of public health was in epidemiology. So, so what, yeah. how did that kind of layer into your studies and your... Yeah, that's a great question. So again, I feel like there's a theme here of I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. So when I started looking into epidemiology, I, I wanted to do um, infectious disease work. Um, mm -hmm. And funny, because we're living through a pandemic now, but that's exactly what I wanted to do. And um, when I started working on that degree, I found myself uh, more pulled into the chronic disease epidemiology because um, those were the diseases that affect the U.S. population at the highest rate. So cardiovascular disease, you know, being the number one um, killer was the number one cause of death in, in the U.S. population and cancer uh, being number two. And so I always was, you know, a big thinker, thinking big. And so I was more drawn into uh, the chronic diseases uh, for the impact that they had on our population. Um, there was one, I knew I was, I was totally changed from infectious disease to chronic disease one day when I left a cardiovascular disease epidemiology class. Um, and it was about dietary changes for cardiovascular health. Um, and, <laughs> And a friend of mine and I were supposed to go to Burger King for lunch <laughs> after oh, no. <laughs> after class. And we met on the corner in New Orleans. I can still picture it. And he's like, come on, let's go to Burger King. And I was, I don't know if I can say Burger King. But anyway, that's where we were going. And I said, nope, I'm done. Not doing it, you know. And, um, and so it was just that instant. But, you know, besides it being kind of a big picture approach, it was also that we had some, you have some personal power in that, right? Like you can make lifestyle decisions. You can make changes that can impact your risk factors for those diseases. So that was the other thing that kind of drew me into that. I think this is very interesting actually, because it's, um, you're drawing a distinction between say infectious diseases, which we're all fairly similar, familiar with, right? Uh, the mm. American public now knows what that looks like. And yeah. then uh, these chronic diseases and this idea, like an infectious disease, okay, 
we might be able to wear masks and be a little more careful and wash our hands. But basically, it's out of our hands whether it hits us or not and 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 how much it hurts us. But the chronic disease definitely has a social issue to it, right? It has a, has a personal power to it. That's very, it's that's, got that's it all. It, there's yeah. social issues. There's personal choice. You know, there's uh, availability of resources. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Very good. So now tell us a little bit about Nant Health. Um, what does Nant Health do, particularly in the areas of cancer and, and chronic diseases? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. So um, I feel very fortunate uh, to be in the position that I am in here. And so, you know, as a company, we are thinking about how to redesign and how um, to innovate in healthcare um, to see those outcomes, right? To achieve um, equity and what we know the healthcare system can do. Um, now, in terms of cancer, I mentioned a little bit before that we've made great strides in terms of cancer survival, right? And that is due to two different aspects broadly. It is um, gains and advances in cancer treatment and earlier detection, right? So kind of both ends of the spectrum of like, we diagnose people earlier. Um, and then when people are diagnosed, we have so much better treatments than we did 20, 30 years ago. So for me, looking at this with a lens of um, wanting cancer patients to have the same shot at the best chance um, and the best outcomes from their cancer. One thing that is very important is um, that everyone has the same chance of treatment with evidence-based treatments, um, which have been highlighted as a particular strategy in addressing inequities in cancer care. So in other words, if a patient is diagnosed with cancer, and we can ensure that they get the most up-to-date evidence-based care, we're doing our piece, right, in trying to help uh, everyone get the best outcome that they can. And so we have tools for that at Nant Health, um, specifically with our Evity Library, where we have, um, where we have the regimens which are uh, evidence-based uh, and supported by guidelines um, and approvals. On the other side of the spectrum, um, I think when you start to think about data, right, and looking very specifically at where the issues are in unequal outcomes, we have to be able to drill down and say, you know, let's take treatment, for example. Is there a pattern where people in one place maybe aren't getting the same types of treatment as people in another place, right? That is the ability to address differences in treatment, which we can do with data. So we can point to it and say, here's a trend, here's a pattern, and then think about why that may be. So we have tools to address that as well. And the last thing that I would highlight um, is starting at the end and thinking backwards. And so what I mean by that is, again, with the data, we can look at whether uh, there's any area where there are later stage cancer patients presenting, you know, who 
have uh, cancers which could be diagnosed earlier, for example, with screening. Um, and if there's any particular pattern in the data, we can then start to look back and think about, well, what's happening here? You know, if this was if this was a cancer that could have been caught earlier, why do we see this trend? Um, and and start to kind of delve into those those questions. It's really important when you look into you know sort of population health and inequities when you can point to a difference or you see a difference in pattern, you really do need to get down to the roots of why you're seeing the difference. Okay. So I gave the example of maybe we see a cluster in the data of patients who are presenting with later stage breast cancer, right? When that could have been caught earlier um, with screening, but if we can get an even more granular look at the data to say, well, there's one population over here who maybe lives in an urban city center versus another population who lives in a rural area, right? And so maybe in the rural area, they don't have access to the same screening, right? They don't have mammogram access or there are not many facilities around within a certain radius as opposed to the dense city center where that's not their issue, right? Like where there's plenty of access, quote unquote, because there are um, places to get mammograms, but uh, but there could be other barriers there. Do you see what I mean? And so it are, it's the tools to be able to differentiate that on a very granular level so that you can individualize um, what the strategy may be for any given population. Good, very good. Uh, and I do want to talk about the strategies. Maybe that's our that's our punchline that we'll we'll save for the end. But talking about health equity in general, we, we certainly talked about on this show social determinants of health. But you turn use the term health equity. Can you maybe help us understand that term and how social determinants of health fits in there and any other kind of maybe just uh, round out that idea for us? Sure. So you know as as a doctor, and I'll, I'll just speak for other doctors and other healthcare folks, like you go into healthcare because you want the best for your patients. You want everyone to have that same shot at their most optimal health and their best outcomes. And we're very good at doing that one-to-one -one when there's a patient sitting in front of us. You know, when we practice, what we do for one patient could be different for the next, depending on the individual patient's needs um, and what's specific to them. So for me, health equity is just doing this on a very, on a larger scale and saying, what we want is for everyone to have the same shot at their best health outcome. And we can look at different populations and identify that the needs are different. And so health equity is not saying we're going to give everybody the same thing. We're saying we're going to look at what's different uh, so that everyone has the same chance to get their best outcome. I'll tell you what, this is not an oncology example. I mean, we touched a little bit about this in oncology where you can look at, you know, screening, right? And barriers to screening can be very different depending on which population you are um, looking at. But we're seeing this play out with telemedicine in the pandemic 
so there's a lot of attention as this being an innovation, right, in increasing um, access to telemedicine um, and this being a, a real driver in terms of um, healthcare access. Well, I was reading a study recently, I think it was in JAMA, where they looked at utilization of telemedicine among different groups, and they found that, lo and behold, there was lower uptake among different groups. So some of those groups that came out were older people, um, Asian people, people whose um, language English was not their first language, people with lower socioeconomic status, um, were just some of the groups, Black people, Latin people, Hispanic people, um, where the uptake of telemedicine was lower, okay? And so we can take a guess. I didn't, you know, we don't know the root causes yet, but probably the reasons that the uptake of telemedicine was lower, those reasons probably differ from population to population. So what's going on with the older population is probably not the same barrier as what was going on with, you know, people who, who English is not their first language. And so as we think about innovating in healthcare, I'm using telemedicine as, as an example, if you want to design a system where everyone has that same shot, right, to get the maximum benefit from telemedicine, we have to um, acknowledge that there are different rates of uptake and then find out why that is so that you can bake that in as we go along, right? And so right. maybe you can, um, there are certain strategies that you learn about in your older population that you're going to need to implement as we roll out more telemedicine. And there's a different strategy for people who you can identify um, of a low socioeconomic status, whatever their needs are and so on. And so when you bake that along as we build a system, I think then you get to a point where everyone has the same shot to get the full benefit. Does that make sense? Did that answer your question? A absolutely. And I, I love that analogy of, you know, if we want to think about this, put ourselves in the shoes of a doctor uh, and think about each population and group that kind of emerges as a pattern in, in whatever the issue is as a different patient. And just as a doctor might see the same statistics from one patient to the other, um, you still uh, look at the whole person, the whole patient that you're looking at, their age, their 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 uh, their race, their their lifestyle, whatever it is, right? And mm. and I think that's a great analogy to think about how. Um, how you can uh, kind of point out health equities, but also how you can um, diagnose them, right? Oh, oh, and then and then figure out a way to uh, cure them, if you will, right? Yeah, I, and I think, you know, that is what is so fascinating about the time that we're in right now for me. Um, you know, I alluded to the fact when we first started that I found, you know, a slide that showed differences in survival and cancer, and that kind of sparked this whole interest. And it, but it was like looking backwards, right? And so the slide in particular was that Black people die from cancer more than other populations. And it was um, just like, you know, here's what has happened and you can see the trends over time and all, and all of that. But right now where we're at, we're, 
the time that we're in right now where there's such a focus on inequity and, um, you know, population health management strategies, and we're dealing with a pandemic. And oh, by the way, we're talking about healthcare innovation and, you know, how we can roll out telemedicine. And it's like, this is a perfect opportunity that in 10 years, we don't have to look back and say, telemedicine was great, except for older people, (laughs) right, who Mm -hmm. didn't get to participate, except for, uh, you know, poor people who didn't get to participate, except for uh, Asian people who didn't participate in, in as higher rates. Um, and I, and we can avoid that, I think, with this focus as we go forward and innovate. Right. Absolutely. And it sounds like data has something to do with that, too. We're at a point in history, yeah. uh, healthcare history, right, where the data is being freed and we have a lot more data maybe to to pull up and analyze. That's it. You know, it, it really is. Uh, it's it's first really pinpointing and understanding the issues and understanding that different issues have different root causes. Um, it's really not enough to just paint this broad stroke, right? And just say, everyone's going to get telemedicine now. Great. And, you know, we really need to go in and understand with the data. Absolutely. Right. And teaching, treat each patient differently, regardless of, of uh, you know, a band-aid doesn't work for all of them. So thank you, Dr. Avery. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Tiffany Avery, Chief Medical Officer of Nant Health. For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Learn how healthcare is leveraging automation, patient data liberation, and federal legislation and regulation to repair the industry's knowledge and data supply chain at Wheaties Annual Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. Use the code PODCAST to receive 15% off our already affordable registration rates. Sign up as an individual attendee or take advantage of our group registration, which allows everyone in your company to participate and benefit from this valuable event. Learn more and register at Weedy.org. It's the annual Weedy Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. We're back and we're talking with Dr. Tiffany Avery, Chief Medical Officer of Nanth Health, on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Uh, so, Dr. Health equity, uh, it sounds like it encompasses a lot more and brings in a lot more factors than are usually considered a part of healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, poverty, racism, where you live, economic disparities. And so this doesn't sound like it can be solved by healthcare legislation, healthcare reform, right? Doesn't sound like that can fix it. So so how as a society do we get our arms around this, this, this huge problem? Actually? Yeah, so it is definitely a heavy lift. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit depressing when you say it that way. I have to tell you. Right. So but I, I know you have some examples that will, 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 uh, will light, lighten up everybody's day after this. Yeah, yeah. No, so social determinants of health that you that you mentioned. Um, and this is so key. Right. So it it's it's the fact that most of most of your health care happens outside of the hospital. Um, you know, the truth is that. The hospitals, um, patient care for us, a lot of it is like after you're you're sick, right? Um, and so there's a lot of um, there's a lot leading up to maintaining your health. There are also issues that impact what happened to you after you're diagnosed. 
um, which can become barriers to you getting the treatments that you need and all of the support that you need. And all of that happens outside of the hospital. And so this is what we're talking about uh, with social determinants of health. So it is, you know, um, it is socioeconomic status. It is healthcare access and not just healthcare access in terms of insurance coverage, but also, you know, that the place that you live has the facilities that you need, uh, you know, to take care of your health and that you that they're not you know 50 miles away. And so and so you don't have access that way. Right. Um, it's it's, you know, education. It's making sure that kids have, um, you know, equitable education. We know uh, that education, poor education impacts your health later in life as well. Um, it's your food. It's where it's environmental factors of where you live. Um, what your water is like. We saw that play out too, fair, you know, in the last few years. Um, that everyone doesn't even have clean water, which is crazy to me, you know, um, in this country, right? I mean, this, we can certainly, um, shore up basics like this. Um, now how do we do that? Well, um, it is going to take partnerships. I really think clearly there's not any one solution that you can say, all right, well, this hospital um, is going to take up the mantle or even we're going to make, you know, just doing um, putting in laws will be enough. I think we all have to work together. And when I say work together, I will tell you what my biggest, well, is it my biggest pet peeve? Maybe <laughs> when I talk about inequities and population health and I roll my eyes at myself because I talk about it so much. And that is, we have these conversations about what's going on with them and this population, those people. We have got to include the community in the conversation. Um, there, there, there's no other way around it. I mean, I'll tell you a story. I probably shouldn't, but I will anyway. All right, so here I am very recently Um. I was talking to a uh, breast cancer survivor about the importance of clinical trial participation. Okay. And it was um, with respect to barriers around minority patients, black patients, and clinical trial participation, right? And the story is that um, there's so much medical distrust and mistrust that, you know, that leads to lower clinical trial participation in minority communities. And so I said, you know, as part of what I like to do, I'll go out and talk to folks, you know, as an oncologist who did clinical trials and designed them and all of that. We talk about how they're designed, safety, all of those issues, why it's important to participate, on and on and on, right? So I'm doing my whole spiel. It's great. And I and I talked for, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And she finally said, Dr. Avery, I've never been offered a clinical trial. And I said, what? <laughs> and she said, look, I get it. Uh, I, um, you know, understand everything you said. I have not 
been offered a clinical trial. And I was like, okay. And so I went to the literature and said, does this bear out? Do we have this documented somewhere? What, what's going on? Lo and behold, I found a very recent study um, that pointed to uh, potential barriers in offering minority patients clinical trial participation on the part of, you know, the physicians and centers. And two, that was around um, biases that are there that, you know, minority patients are not as uh, as um, likely to participate and it's going to take a lot more work to educate um, and there's going to need to be more support in terms of um, like financial support and barriers that are there and that this could lead to not being offered a trial. And I thought to myself, I mean, this is the problem. I'm sitting here talking to people, talking about people, and I'm not even aware, <laughs> you know, like one conversation is someone says, yeah, but I was never offered a trial. Now, I don't know her situation. Maybe she wasn't a candidate. Maybe they didn't have something for her. But it was just that one statement, right, of, of talking to someone who's in the community and who's affected and getting a whole other side of the story um, that I wasn't attuned to, you know? And so that really underscores for me. I have so much uh, respect for the work um, you know, of groups that are going into communities um, and partnering to really understand what is happening on the ground level with the people that we are talking about. Um, you know, I see a lot of partnerships happening between community groups and hospitals or community groups, payers, you know, community groups and pharma, all, you know, all of these different um, kind of partnerships that really bring the community to the table. So that really inspires me. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's going to take partnerships, but including the people who are affected by all of this at the table, for sure. I, I, those are, I mean, I think that's a great story because it illustrates so much, right? First, it illustrates that the presumption um, <laughs> that certain people don't want to be a part of uh, experiments, right? It, it fed this kind of vicious cycle. So it became, it was self-fulfilling, right? It like became true because the presumption made it so. Um, yep. And then you find the data that proves that it's kind of an urban legend, that it's just something that's whispered in the hallways and nobody ever. And then the second part is exactly what you're saying is going to the source and actually asking <laughs> the population um, how they feel about clinical trials or right. offer but, clinical trials. Brilliant. But yes, I didn't ask her. She, <laughs> right. she told I you. Right? She told me. Yes. And good for her for saying, yeah, that's nice, but guess what? Here's the reality, for me anyway, you know, and there's certainly distrust. I mean, yeah, we're, I'm not I'm not discounting that. There's certainly distrust. That is an issue, but it is the idea that I'm talking to her. I didn't ask. I didn't even ask. I think I know, right? Right, so, and, and I think it, it, it calls to mind, too, uh, again, your analogy of, the doctor patient or the the you know the society population relationship there where you think about a population as the patient right where i think as one time you know the idea of doctors where they they asked the you know they they took all your stats and then they went to a different room and they conversed and they came back and said okay you're having a surgery tomorrow right, right. Uh, where where hopefully 
we've kind of evolved in, in, in patient-doctor uh, relationships where a lot of questions are asked, right, about your lifestyle. Why do you think this that's is happening? Right. Why do you have high blood pressure, right? Mm-hmm. That's so, right. That's terrific. That's terrific. So um, so we, we've certainly seen um, the data. We've seen the headlines from the pandemic about the certain populations that have been um, t- much more terribly affected by the pandemic than other populations. So I think um, certainly I, I'd say both sides of the aisle are aware of health inequities and 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 um, the idea that that some populations don't have appropriate access to health and, and all that entails. Um, certainly, there's a lot of papers being uh, published on it. Um, but we're at the end of a pandemic. Everybody's going back to the beaches and mm. to the theaters. Are we going to forget all about health inequities? Is, was this just a kind of a, a flash in the pan issue that people paid a lot of attention to? But in five years, we're going to go back to um, writing. Uh, uh, Journal articles about whether coffee's bad for you or not. So, I mean, coffee's not bad. I I drink coffee all day. I'm just <laughs> okay. I'll ask you about mine here. next. No, so. but um, no. It, it, but yeah. In all seriousness, I I hope not. Number one, of course, I hope not. And I don't think so. Right. So my knee jerk reaction is to say, uh, yeah, everybody's getting back to their lives, and this is gonna fade in the background. But I actually don't think that's true. First of all, at least in the academic you know, in the academic side of things, this has been a topic of research for a long time now, right? For decades, really. And in fact, when I was a fellow, um, the only reason I found articles about that is because it was already being studied. So, so it's been studied, you know, in the academic setting uh, for decades. So. So it so it's there. It's not a flash in the pan in terms of what's happening, um, you know, in the medical community. I think um, the public at large is kind of just getting up to speed on what has been shown um, in the research uh, for some time. In terms of, you know, clues that I have that I think uh, things are going to change. We see um, that in the medical schools, for example, that there is inclusion or a um, a drive for inclusion of teaching about social determinants of health, right? Of um, having attention to all of those factors that go into a healthy patient um, and a healthy population. So that makes me very hopeful in that the way that we're training our medical students um, and residents uh, is already giving some attention to this. I don't recall having any particular instruction about it um, when I was in medical school. And so that makes me um, very hopeful. The other thing um, is that we are seeing different positions being created now at different parts in healthcare, you know, in hospitals, um, in pharma, for example, around equity, right, where it's now someone's job to keep an eye on this. And so as we talked about, you know, with telemedicine, right, I'm hopeful because now we've got, you know, people in positions to keep an eye on equity. So, like, it, it's your job if you're in one of these positions, you know, as a telemedicine example, to say, okay, if my job is equity, we need to make sure that these, you know, different populations of people have 
the same shot at being able to uh, access telemedicine, right? And so we didn't have that before either. And so I think that the fact that there are folks who are in positions to keep an eye on this now as we go forward and not as a look back <laughs> of like, here's how different people fare differently over the you know these last few years. <laughs> and I think now we're at the point where we can say, okay, we've got it. Thank you to the researchers who have been doing this for so long that we know that this exists. And now let's put people in position so as we go forward, we can keep an eye on this and we can bake it in as we innovate. Right. Very good. Very good. So so along with that optimism, um, <laughs> and, and maybe this has to do with health equity or not, but where do you see American healthcare? Or where do you hope to see American healthcare in a decade or two? What what do you hope for our future? Well, what do I, well, I mean, it, it's what I started out with. I I really do want everyone to have the same shot at their their best health, you know. And I think uh, the way that we do that is to pay attention to the fact that different people have different needs and different populations <laughs> have different needs, and so. In you know the coming years, I would like to see um, more strategies in place. Again, I think we're at a tipping point where we know so much about it, we know so much about equity, and now it's going to be about how do we operationalize this to make an impact. The other thing <laughs> that I would like to see is also um, an emphasis on lifestyle stuff. So. We didn't get into this, but I'm also certified in lifestyle medicine. Ta-da. Um, and, uh, you know, just paying attention to what choices we can make individually for healthy lifestyles. Also recognizing that there are barriers, right, to even to those choices. And thinking about lifestyle medicine, thinking about equity within that. Um, and again, how we can set people up to attain their best, um, their best possible health. So, so that's it. I think it's, it's, you know, seeing how we strategize and operationalize, um, um, health equity and, uh, bringing lifestyle medicine to the forefront as well. Very good. So I, <coughs> I think I know what lifestyle medicine is, but do you want to sure. talk about that for a second? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, it is looking at um, those life choices that impact your health. So that is diet, exercise, um, but also sleep, also uh, connection, social mm -hmm. connection. Um, it's mental well-being as well. And so it is um, a focus on Again, how to set someone up for success with making lifestyle changes, because it doesn't I mean, everybody knows, like, stop smoking, lose weight. I mean, this is not this is not groundbreaking stuff. But what is groundbreaking stuff is how to help someone actually get there. And spoiler alert, it's different for everybody right? because everyone has different support systems in, at, at the home, you know, everyone has different barriers. And so it is a focus on um, the patient um, leading what is going to work for their life to make 
the changes that they need to make um, to optimize their health. So, so it's from the point of view of like the clinician that's talking mm-hmm. to a patient mm-hmm. and then helping the patient to help themselves. That's right. Okay. That's right. And so it's not me saying to you, um, okay, you need to get 150 minutes of exercise a week. Okay. So I can tell you. That's my doctor. That's my doctor. That's right. I can tell you. And I say, and I tell all my patients that too, you need to get 150 minutes of exercise a week. Right. Right. And the next question would be, okay, well, how do I do that Hmm. when I'm working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week uh, and I'm, and I'm here for treatments. And then I would say, well, our time's up. You know, right? Really, because the hard work is really how do you support people? We know it's hard. I mean, that's that's it. It is really difficult to change your lifestyle. It truly is. I mean, I know I've made some lifestyle changes. It is really difficult. And so it's kind of taking it one step further (laughs) in terms of telling you, okay, well, here's, you know, here are some um, here are some guideposts for you. But we're trying to work through that, you know, so one thing might be, okay, let's start with a what kind of exercise do you like? Mm. You know, do you have a history where you ever exercised? What did you like to do? How can we start? Maybe we start it one day a week. Maybe we start it, you know, and so it's that kind of thing. And checking in with people, keeping accountable, changing up um, the plan as needed, so on and so forth. Very good. Very good. Um, so before we go, Dr. Avery, any uh, resources uh, that you would like to point the listeners to uh, to give them more information or other information uh, that we've talked about today? Sure. Uh, so Nan Health, our website is a great place to start. Uh, we also have a blog there um, where we talk about, um, you know, uh, relevant and timely issues. Um, and so that'd be a great place to start. Um you know, since we were just talking about lifestyle medicine, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has a really good uh, website as well that kind of talks about, um, you know, different guidelines, et cetera. Uh, I like the CDC's website about social determinants of health. Um, I, I, I think they do a really good job. So if anyone is, is interested in learning more about that, um, I would give I would give the CDC as a resource there. Um, And lastly, I would direct people to um, kind of a passion project of mine, which is uh, Three Black Docs, which is a podcast that I actually host with two fellow physicians who are also oncologists, where we kind of talk about um, this sort of stuff, but also um, screening um, guidelines and education for the community. So, it is focused on um, folks in the community, talking to people, talking with people, um, and addressing what people need to know in terms of cancer screening, cancer prevention, equity, <laughs> and sometimes uh, sometimes current events as well. Depends on what's happening. So, so there you go. Very good. Well, we'll have to <laughs> give that podcast a listen. Thanks. And, um, Uh, Dr. Avery, I've learned a lot. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, sharing your experience and knowledge. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you. We had a good time, too. (laughs) This has been the collective voice of Health IT. 
a weedy podcast and we just came off a discussion with dr tiffany avery chief medical officer of nant health so this is the collective voice of health it a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system find this episode and many more at our website weedy.org thank you all for joining us and be safe